welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast, our Senior Associate Athletics Director at Oregon State, Kimya Massey, and founder of Cantor Legal, Richard Cantor. Both are members of the ABCA Diversity Committee. Kimya Massey has been an administrator at Oregon State since August 2015. He previously worked at Central Florida, Memphis, Indiana, and Michigan State. He pitched collegiately at Michigan State in the late 90s and received his master's in sports administration from Michigan State in 2004. Richard Cantor has an extensive background in the sports agent field. He had positions with the University of Kentucky baseball program and the Baltimore Orioles. He was a player agent for NBA and NFL players and also worked for the Washington Wizards and Brooklyn Nets. Richard made a career switch from player agent to now representing college baseball coaches. This episode was born out of the ABCA virtual convention where we got on a great back and forth about tips on how to get jobs and also keep jobs during the diversity committee Q&A. No matter where you're at on the professional journey, this episode will be helpful. Get your pen and paper ready because Kimmy and Richard dish out a ton of great advice on the do's and don'ts of getting a job. We had to cut this one a little short so we left the door open for another episode. I want to circle back on tips how to keep the job you have. Let's welcome Kimya Massey and Richard Cantor to the podcast. Here with Kimya Massey, Senior Associate Athletics Director at Oregon State, and Richard Cantor, founder of Cantor Legal, uh, both members of the ABCA Diversity Committee. So thanks to you guys for jumping on with me. Absolutely. Great to be here. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Kim, you want we have you go first? Just discuss your path a little bit for people that maybe don't know your guys' background. Have you go first and discuss your path, how you got to where you're at, and then hand it over to Richard. Yeah, great, Ryan. Appreciate it. Um, my path is uh, started with college baseball. As a matter of fact, I, I was a pitcher at Michigan State, not a very good one, but you know, I enjoyed the the game and had a great opportunity to be in the Big Ten and travel and do that, and and then went into some sales jobs initially, but missed sports and. Came back and got my master's at Michigan State. I was fortunate enough to get into athletics as an academic counselor for athletes. And eventually just worked my way up to where I um, went through a couple of different institutions. Indiana University had the opportunity to work actually very closely with basketball and baseball there. And now Tracy Smith, who's at Arizona State, I was the academic advisor for his team there. and Got pretty close to Tracy and 
moved on to Memphis and spent some time there uh, working with admissions and international eligibility for athletes and uh, football team. And then uh, ended up as the director of academic support at the University of Central Florida and spent four years there overseeing that unit um, and then started getting into the support administration side. Um, and then at that point, my, uh, my boss, the athletic director, Todd Stansbury, got the job at Oregon State. And he had been here previously, and he had been the sport administrator for baseball um, when they won their national championships back in 06, 07. Um, brought me with him uh, back here in 2015. Um, and then I've been here ever since. And, and over time, been able to work with multiple sports administratively, oversee our student-athlete development division, liaison to academic support still and work with a variety of different campus entities and uh, in the community. And just this past year now, uh, working with our baseball program from a uh, support administration standpoint. So it's been a great run, about 20 years now, almost in college athletics, and, and still, still enjoying every day. Coldest game ever, uh, first uh, conference weekend at Michigan State. My first year at Iowa, we were at Michigan State, and it was it was cold. It was cold. And then you, you got to watch games at Senbauer then, too. That was probably before the, the new Indiana Stadium got built. It was. It was the old, it was the old one. Um, but we had, some, we had some cold games there. But, uh, gosh, man, I remember at Michigan State, you know, it'd be April. It'd be snowing, you know. Uh, your first home game is just coming back, and it's 28 degrees. And it's great as a pitcher. Got to keep, keep it inside. Keep it inside. But, you know, uh, it was uh, it was it was challenging, but it was fun. It was a great time, and you know, over time, I think you've seen a lot of the colder programs or the cold weather programs and what they've done to adapt. Whether it's indoor facility options, and you know, most of the Northwest programs now have turf, you know, to avoid that. So there's been things you can do, but um, you know, it's still baseball at the end of the day, it's still pure. Richard, what about you? Your path. Yeah, so I actually started, I wasn't a player at all. So I wasn't even a bad player, I just wasn't a player. Um, but I was a manager at Kentucky. So that's kind of how I got involved in college baseball. Um, also cold there. There were several games in the snow there in Lexington, um, but not quite as bad as Michigan. Um, so yeah, that's where I kind of got started. Um, John Cohen was the head coach at the time. So Kentucky was on a pretty good run. Um, Nick Mingione and, and Brad Bohannon and Gary Henderson were the assistants. So I was kind of fortunate to be around a very successful staff, all guys who became SEC head coaches. Um, but I went to law school. I wasn't planning to work with baseball coaches or anything like that. I went to law school. I um, was actually more focused on the basketball side of things, trying to be a basketball player agent. Um, decided I didn't want to be a player agent during law school after several internships and tried to go the front office route. Actually, my first year out of law school, um, I worked for the Brooklyn Nets uh, D-League team. Um, so did that for a year and then ended up going back to an agency just because that's kind of where the, if you wanted a full-time job as a lawyer, that's where more of them were. So it was an agency I'd interned at during law school, worked there for a little over three years, three and a half years, mostly representing Olympic sport athletes, some NFL guys, but the focus was endorsement deals for Olympians. Um, and again, same deal. I knew it, it was a stepping stone for me, great experience, great exposure. Um, but while I was there, I realized what I wanted to do um, was represent coaches and, and baseball coaches to me were a very underserved community. I saw that there's a lot of um, football and basketball coaches, agents who are serving that community well, but baseball coaches were overlooked and the finances had really changed. So baseball coaches um, maybe were not as equipped to handle the contracts in 2016 when I started this business as they were in 2006. A lot changed in a decade 
um, for the sport. So I, I saw an opportunity there, um, but also a need because uh, I just thought the player agents who are representing coaches or the coach agents in other sports um, weren't as specialized. And, and, and I thought that niche market really needed to be helped. And so that's why I focus on baseball coaches. I don't represent athletes. I don't represent football coaches, basketball coaches. It's just baseball coaches for me. What didn't you like dealing with the player side? Um, I, I think that it's it's a little bit more, uh, I guess, just this shady CD industry, right? And, and so if you're going to compete for talent in that industry, you're going to have to operate in a gray area that I wasn't comfortable operating in. Um, and so I just didn't want to go that player recruitment route. You know, when, when you want to get into it, so many people um, feel like they can change the industry, right? And that's, that's what I was, you know, oh, I can do it my way. I can do it the right way. But you're just not going to be able to do that um, very often. I'm not saying everyone does illegal things and most of those things aren't illegal anyway. Um, they're just against certain rules of certain associations, but it's just not the arena I wanted to operate in. Um, and then dealing with players is just different. Um, baseball coaches are obviously grown men. They're married. They have kids. You're, you're not handholding with a coach um, with a player. It's not when I was 19, my mom was still hand holding for me, right? I just wasn't a millionaire. So it makes sense that those 19, 20, 21 year old kids, when they come out, um, they need a lot more help from their agent off the court or off the field um, that a coach doesn't need. Um, so I really enjoy being able to kind of be more on the business side, helping guys with their contracts, but not needing to worry about a lot of the off the field stuff. And again, that's not a knock on players. That's all of us at 19, 20, 21. We need a lot of help. Yeah, I have a, a really good friend who's a major league baseball agent, and he's like, Ryan, we're glorified like personal assistants. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, yep. He's getting scooters for the kids. He's like, there's a lot more of this than there is any of the other stuff. So he yeah. uh, obviously enjoys it, but there's some things that he does not enjoy about it. And, th you know, this kind of all came about with the diversity meeting Q&A afterwards. We got on a really good back and forth about jobs what helps, you know, some of the pros, some of the cons out there. So that's why I reached out to do this, which I feel like, you know, Richard and I both feel like this is going to be a good resource. So we reached out to Kimya also. Um, can you guys kind of just talk about what's going to help going up the ladder here and then some skill sets that are maybe setting some candidates apart on who's getting jobs and who's not getting jobs right now? Let's just start there. Kim, you want you go first and then hand it over to Richard and, and then we'll work off that. Yeah, for aspiring coaches, you know, I think there's a couple things that they have to be cognizant of, you know, and, and if you're an athletic director and you're looking to hire a head college coach, you're obviously going to look for, obviously, an understanding of the game. Of course, you're going to look for success. You're going to look at playing experience. You're going to look at, if you don't have maybe the playing experience, where have you been successful at, you know, depending on the league, um, you know, are there ties to the league? Are there ties to the area? Obviously, it's going to tie into recruiting. You know, at the end of the day, recruiting is the lifeblood of any sport. And if you can recruit and have a proven track record for that, that's going to be really critical. Um, and then where are you going to recruit to or, or from, I guess, or so? Um, what are the areas of the country or even Canada now is, is growing? You know, are you able to connect with people in these parts of the country to do that? You know, I think as as a young aspiring head coach, understanding that piece is really, really important. Um, also understanding the community and the league you're going into, what's the competition like, how successful can you be in year one, three, five? Um, athletic directors will look at that a lot. Um, is this a rebuild or is this a, okay, we're taking over and transitioning from someone who's been successful? Um, who will you bring with you? Who are your assistant coaches and your staff? 
you know, are there people there who have had really good experiences, both again as a player and, or potentially already as a coach? Um, and then I think there's the part that's the hardest part to gauge. And this is where I would say for all aspiring coaches and specifically um, younger minority coaches, can you be a CEO? Can you manage the day-to-day of the 70% of things that you do that are not baseball related? <laughs> as a head coach, you're actually doing a lot less coaching than you are actually managing and being a CEO, whether that's compliance, NCAA rules, obviously recruiting, um, understanding how to manage your staff. And then you have a marketing person, you have a strength coach, you have an athletic trainer, you have an academic coordinator. You have all these people who are there for your programs, but how you manage them and then also being the interface between your student athletes and all these staff is really critical. And I I think being able to demonstrate that not only you're a good X's and O's coach and you're great innings one through nine and you're great in extra innings or making the right time, this is the time to take put in a pinch hitter or, you know, get the lefty out of the bullpen. That's great. But if you can't manage 18 to 23 year olds and all the things that they get into and the people that are going to help them, it doesn't matter. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things I can share with anyone um, is to make sure that you understand how the operation is run and be able to be detailed and specific in how your experience translate as a head coach what are you doing as an assistant that will translate to what you can do what you will have to do as a head coach I thought Tracy Smith did about as good a job you know with the time that I was in the Big Ten while he was there Ty Neal and I are really good friends and that's what he always talked about with Tracy was just he did all the other things good on the field but all the other things that you needed a head coach to do he's really good at Richard what do you got on that to add on yeah I mean I think Kimia did a great job kind of covering all bases there. Um, but, but for guys who are trying to get in and, and figure out what 80s are looking for, I would say that, you know, every hire situation is different, you know? So um, there's, there are certain things you can prepare for in general, um, but lots of times it's going to depend on what that AD is looking for at that time. Um, and so I tell guys, you know, for most jobs, there's an institutional fit and a situational fit. Um, and so what's the current situation that's going on there? Um, what, did the head coach leave because he had a lot of success and he was going to a higher level. Um, so things are going well. Um, and you're not going to rock the boat or did they, the head coach at the time maybe was stuck a little bit in nineties in terms of how he motivates kids. Um, and they need a little bit of change there. What's the situation and you need to read that and, and, and you can't change who you are at the time that you're going for the head coaching job. So look for jobs that fit the situation that you're currently in and what you're, you can do as a coach and as a person. Um, and then the institutional fit. So that's the situation that they're in. Then the institution, do you fit to that school? And that goes to a lot of what Kimia was talking about. Um, as far as recruited the area, the geographic type fit there. Um, do they need a pitching guy or hitting guy? A lot of these baseball schools that are hiring, they're not going to be able to afford an elite coaching staff. You might, you might be getting a mid-major job where the head coach is making 82 grand. The assistants are making 38 grand. You're probably not going to get one of the best pitching coaches in the country at 38 grand. So, you know, sometimes an athletic director is looking for a head coach in that situation who can also handle the pitchers or at least help out more than he would have to if he was the head coach in the SEC. Um, so really get a good idea and do your research on what that specific job, um, you know, what the, the administration is looking for in that hire and then go after jobs that you fit for. If you become that coach who goes after every job, 
you're number one, you're going to be disappointed a lot because there's a lot of good coaches that are going to get those jobs instead of you. Um, but you're probably limiting your opportunity for success and you're limiting your focus on your current team, which helps you win. And, and that's the number one thing that's most important still is winning. If, if you're not a part of winning programs as a head coach or as an assistant coach, you're going to find a hard time moving up. Um, it happens occasionally, but usually you're gonna have to have a really strong connection with whoever's doing the hiring if you don't have a winning track record. Um, so still focus a lot on where you're at and what you're doing. Um, but yeah, that's what I would add to, to Kimmy's answer. Kimmy, how important is the visual on the resume? I mean, does, does that matter, the visual on the resume, or is it really what they're doing outside of that resume that's going to speak, or do you really dive into to when a resume gets sent to you? I think it's both. You know, I think you're going to look at it for sure. I think any athletic director typically has a list of people that they may have in mind already, uh, of course. And depending on the level of the program and, and how profile it is, that list may be longer or shorter uh, for people that might, might might fit there or might be a candidate. But I do think ultimately on the resume, you need to be able to have something that's visually appealing and easy to see. But also, again, thinking back to those points, can you actually articulate on your resume then eventually verbally, how you've worked with your student athletes specifically, have you been involved in situations where you've had to problem solve? Um, fundraising, that's one I didn't mention. Have you done some fundraising or have had any kind of um, exposure to that? Um, been a part of a facility um, in terms of new construction or renovation, just being a part of making those decisions. Um, and I think, and then ultimately I go back to recruiting again, can you really demonstrate that you've recruited at a high level and you've been able to identify certain players who've gone on to the major leagues or gone on to be high draft picks. Um, that, that resonates. Um, it resonates and it resonates with um, both parents, but also resonates with athletic directors. And also taking kids that weren't drafts out of high school or junior college and turning them into drafts. I think that's where you look at the, the best guys out there. They have a good track record of taking guys that weren't drafts and turning them into drafts. Absolutely. No question. And I think Pat Casey did that great here for yes. a long time. Yep. A lot of guys were under the radar and ended up going on to, to a pretty good minor league or potentially major league career. And started local first. I mean, they, they won that first national championship with a lot of local guys. No doubt. Richard, anything there, like when you're hearing back from administrators maybe on on look at things or, you know, maybe why somebody didn't get a, another look, are there anything that sticks out on that end? Yeah, well, on the on the resume front, I would also add you don't want to have one that's too long because even if administrators are going to read it, they're not reading the three page, four page, five page, six page. I've seen twelve page resumes. They're not reading that, um, and so you got to figure out and how do I articulate that I'm a good recruiter and a good developer of players um, in two pages max in my mind because a lot of people aren't going to get past the first half of the first page. It's just a reality. Um, if you're already on the favored list, you're on that five, okay, they might read your resume. But if you're trying to get involved in a job where you're not already in the top five, um, you have to make yourself stand out early on that resume, whether you're submitting it or whether you have an agent submitting it, um, however the process goes. So I, I wouldn't get bogged down if I'm a coach listening to this and how pretty my resume is. I'd make it functional, concise, condensed, and get the information there everyone has developed all conference players. So I don't need a list of all 97 all conference players you've developed, um, but but find a way to differentiate yourself, separate yourself um, and explain the most important parts about your resume um, to, to an administrator who's reading it. Um, as far as like feedback that you receive, um, I'll be honest, administrators don't give a ton of feedback you know, on that. I, I don't know if it's by design. Sometimes they'll give a little bit of feedback, but I don't think, 
unfortunately for coaches, you need to worry too much about that. You know, I, I think that you're going to get an answer and whether you like it or not, most of the time you won't get an answer for why you weren't selected. Um, so I wouldn't get too focused on that. Um, we, we all know what's important in general that makes a good coach. Um, so focus on winning games where you're at um, and, and developing a resume and picking schools that you fit at. I wouldn't get bogged down in what an athletic director says after the fact of a search. Kimmy, can you kind of dive into what people do well in, in a phone interview piece and then on campus piece? And now with the with Zoom coming into play, are more of these calls, these initial calls being done via Zoom rather than a phone interview? I personally, I did not enjoy phone interviews. I was, I just had a hard time uh, with with the phone interview process because you couldn't see people's faces. The on-campus one was always much more enjoyable for me than, than a phone interview, but dive into a little bit on that. Yeah, that's a good point, right? It's, it's a different game right now, just going through COVID and we've actually, we hired a wrestling coach this year and his staff completely virtual, which is sounds unheard of and crazy, but we did it. Uh, it's worked out well, but, but I think there's a smaller window of time to do a phone interview and then a Zoom interview where you're going to have to really demonstrate, um, again, back to recruiting, back to being a CEO, back to being ready to fundraise, to um, work with student athletes who are 18 and 23 years old. You're going to have to articulate that probably a little bit quicker and a little bit more efficiently. Um, and then I, I do agree a lot with what Richard's saying too about just having success is just so important. Um, if you're a current head coach, you know, we're going to look at the last three years. We're going to look very closely at that. If you're an assistant coach, we're going to look at where you've been the last three to four years and where you've been before that and see how successful you've been, both generating talent and producing draft picks, but also how successful have you won games, have you won championships, have you advanced to the tree, things of that nature. So, again, being able to articulate that in a really efficient manner is going to be even more important than it typically would have been in person. Now with an in-person, when we get to that point, what do they need to be ready for? when they show up on campus for an in-person interview? Yeah, you're going to probably meet with a lot of different people. Um, you know, typically, obviously, your athletic director is going to spend some time with you, your sport administrator, but you're also going to meet with some of the, some of the support staff initially. Uh, again, it depends on the profile of the school. You know, if you're at maybe a blue blood, that may not happen, or it's, it's a pretty quick transition, probably more similar to a football or basketball search. Um, but if not, you know, you're probably going to meet with some other folks. Um, and I think also presence means a lot. So how you present yourself um, and how confident you are, um, not arrogant, but confident, I think is really important distinction there. I think it's really important um, in an on-campus interview. But again, being prepared to understand what is your vision and long-range projection for your program. You have to be able to articulate that. What does it look like? Again, one, three, five, ten years down the road. What do you see yourself building and how are you going to do it? Can you specifically in, in a detailed way let people know this is how we're going to do it? Here's how we're going to recruit. Here's how we're going to manage our budget. Here's how we're going to go after. We're going to ask what kind of kid are you going to go after? What what are you building? Uh, what are the tenets of what you're building and what kind of person are you trying to recruit to your program? And what kind of a family? Let's be honest. Parents are more involved now than they've ever been before. Um, some of that's the valid reasons and some maybe not, but what kind of family are you actually recruiting uh, to your program? So as you come on the campus, being able to prepare to answer those kind of questions is really critical. Rich, you want to dive in on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, back to the, the phone interview portion, now switching over to Zoom, there, there were only three baseball searches this year that 
hired a coach from outside the program. Most of them were promotions or interims. Um, and all three of those did do on-campus interviews. Um, so we'll see how it goes this summer. Could be different. Um, but there was still some of that component, but they were not bringing on five, four or five candidates on campus like they might typically. It's, all right, we have identified the guy we want. Let's bring him on and see if he screws this up. Um, and one of those did bring on two candidates. So, so yeah, I think you still want to be as prepared for that in-person component as you can be. I always advise my clients that the the phone interview portion or now Zoom interview portion potentially, it's a sniff test usually. It's usually 30 minutes. Usually the AD is not even on the call. It might be the sports administrator. Um, and, and you're trying to just see, does he fit at all? Does he make any sense? We've, we've done a little bit of due diligence, um, but we're doing 10 or 12 of these. And we just want to see if he's a no-brainer. Um, we want to talk to him more. Okay, great. Or is he just not a fit? Let's cross him off the list. So... I think you got to be prepared to explain in that inter phone interview who you are, why you do what you do. You really want to get across when they say, tell me about yourself. They don't want to hear you regurgitate your resume. They want to hear you explain kind of a little bit about what's your why. You know, you're a baseball coach. I get that. But why are you a baseball coach? You could do a lot of other things. Um, and so really make them feel that you're passionate about this um, calling as a baseball coach and then make them feel that you fit their specific situation. So you want to both when, when you're talking fit here in that answer, it's make them feel like you want that job in particular. Why am I the guy that, that you want to hire? Why do I have all the attributes you're looking for? But also, why are you the school I want to be at? Why do I want to be there? So you need to find a way to articulate those things, who you are, what you're about, what matters to you, um, and both why you fit that job. Western Illinois versus U University of Iowa versus Oregon State, very different situations. Um, and then why you fit all the attributes you're looking for. And then I also tell guys in that phone interview part portion, you're trying not to do things to eliminate yourself either, right? So don't, if you can get past that 30 minutes um, and you have the winning resume and, and you fit what they're looking for, you have a decent chance to get on campus, but don't do things that are going to eliminate you. Don't start asking what the salary is. Don't start asking if they're going to build a new stadium. Don't start doing things that could make them say, Ooh, this guy might be too big for his britches right now when you might not be but you just want to get really excited and get all these answers. The phone interview is not the time when you get to campus. That means you're a serious candidate. Um, if you get to campus, you have a shot to win that job. Um, and at that point, a lot of the same um, examples I used about fit are important. Um, but you also, we're going to have an opportunity to ask some questions and get some information that you need to know on whether you take that job. Um, so yeah, I think that it's, uh, you, you hear that word a lot, but it really is important, the fit of that university and that coach. And if you can't articulate why you want to be at that school, a lot of people can articulate how to build a baseball program, a hypothetical division one baseball program, but you got to be able to articulate why you can build it at that school. Cause there, there's such different situations, even in the same league, the top sec job versus the bottom, that's going to take a very different coach to be successful in. Um, so you got to do that research. And unfortunately, most guys don't. A lot of people do not take the time and effort to research and do their due diligence to find out what that program is looking for. They just talk about how great of a baseball coach they are, how great of a recruiter they are, how great they are, pitching coach, hitting coach, whatever. Um, and that you're already on campus. They already know you're a good enough baseball coach to coach there. Um, they're trying to figure out if you're the right fit. Yeah, the Internet is your okay. friend. And, I, you know, I was on quite a few of those search committees when I was still coaching at Western. And, you know, you'd have your stock 10 questions that you would ask people and you could tell who had done research on our program and, and, who, and who hadn't. 
and you know at least one person that you're going to have a conversation with, just guess that it's probably going to be an academic person that's also on the call, and it's probably another coach that's in the athletic department that's going to be on that call. So you can do a lot of that front-end research on who you're talking to and then maybe some of the other coaches on campus that you might be talking to just to give yourself a better chance to put a, a good foot forward with the phone interview portion of it. Kim, you got anything else to add on that? Yeah, I was just going to add it. I appreciate that point, Richard. I think a lot of people just make assumptions that they're the person or they're the guy and they got this and it's about just about baseball and it's not. And as an athletic director and administrator, like you want to also hear like, what do you really know about our university and this community? You know, for us, that holistic development piece is just really critical. That's who we are. Maybe it may not be the same for other schools, but that's who we are. So we want to hear about that. In addition, we know you, to your point, we know you're a good baseball coach. We know you can coach. That's, that's a no-brainer. But what about the other pieces that are actually going to make you successful? And do the research. Um, people who come in well research and understand it, it's, it's comforting. It feels good. Um, it really builds trust. And trust by far is the number one thing that you have to have. So it's a really, really good point. Yeah, I walked in with a binder every place that I interviewed at. It was branded to that school, but it had everything about that school in that binder, all the other things that I was going to do with the program. And Brad Brownell is a good friend. He's the head basketball coach at Clemson. But when I went to interview at Western Illinois, he goes, well, do you actually want the job? I'm like, well, yeah, I wouldn't be here. He goes, well, you have to let them know that you actually want the job before you leave there. They need to understand how much you want the job. And I think some people leave that on the table where they just – that's a great point. They just assume they already have the job. Just assume that you don't have the job. Like you need to work your tail off in the phone interview, in the on-campus, and think about all the things that you're going to go through on campus there and put yourself in that interview before you go through it. You're going to be much more prepared when you get into that situation. At, at the college level, how important is the search firm right now? And Richard, you can talk about that. I know probably depending on the program, the search firm's important and, and other programs. Really, what percentage of programs out there is the search firm important? In baseball, under 10%. I mean, I've been doing this for four years, you know, dozens of searches. Um, I've seen a search firm involved twice. So it, in baseball, it's not that common yet. Um, and in there's a little bit of evolving search firm models. Some are now doing kind of a retainer model where the school pays them and then they'll do any search. It'll be volleyball coach search or director of marketing search on um, the search firms available because they get a better understanding of the program. If they work with you on searches consistently, then they really know the identity of what Iowa is looking for, or Oregon State's looking for. Um, and so that's, that's a, one of the new business models. Um, so you're going to see more baseball searches coming out of that. Not many athletic departments, even at the highest level, are going to go pay um, the big search firms 75 grand, 100 grand like they pay for football, basketball. It's just it's not a reality that I've seen yet. Will that come? It absolutely might come um, at some of the bigger sports. You might see it. I mean, I mean, at bigger schools like Mississippi State obviously had a hire a couple of years ago that didn't work out a high profile hire. So maybe some of those schools that do pay a lot of money, they're going to try and, you know, do their due diligence a little bit more, um, cover their bases and, and have a search firm do some of that research. You're also starting to see a little more confidentiality come into play. One of the reasons that search firms are important um, is the athletic director is not directly reaching out to a sitting head coach somewhere else. Um, and so in baseball, now that you do have a few guys making a million plus dollars, um, maybe you see that as well start to trickle in for some elite searches. But in general, to answer your question, you are not seeing it in baseball very often, well under 10% of the time. Um, that could that could change, um, but, but not that much yet. 
Kim, you have anything to add on that? Nope, you nailed it. Right, right, right hit on the head. Kimmy, what are some other pitfalls or don'ts that you've seen in the interview process or in the hiring process that get people into trouble? Yeah, I think just not being prepared is a big one. Um, again, not knowing anything, assuming you have the job, um, swearing. You, you'd be amazed at people who swear in interviews. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I think they just get too comfortable. and You know, this is our cool way of being one of the guys or something. Uh, I think that's a no-no. Um, you know, I think also... Um, not making sure that your previous success doesn't 100% mean you're going to be successful at that place. Like you still need to articulate a vision or a plan. So I think people who don't come into it with a long-term plan of how they'll be successful, um, that hurts. Um, and I think also doing research on the people that you're going to be working with, whether that's the sport administrator, the AD, get to know them. What's their background? Where have they been? Um, you know, maybe if you're an athletic director, like what searches, have that, has that person gone through recently? Have they hired other baseball coaches in the past? Get to know what their trends are. Um, you know, sometimes if they're a newer AD, they won't have as much track record for that. But that's the person that, that's your boss. Even though you work with a sport administrator day to day, AD is your boss. So you better get to know who, what him or her is, is looking for and who do they tend to hire um, at their institution or previous institutions. I think that's a big miss that a lot of candidates don't do the research on. And you have to be able to have a conversation with those people because you're going to be around them a lot. So you have to be comfortable with them. They have to be comfortable with you. So that's about putting your best forward foot forward as well is really being able to have those personal conversations because you are around each other all the time. Richard, what else am I missing on that with some of the dotes? I know you said you, you've had not not clients, but you've heard of people calling the AD after the fact and uh, obviously <laughs> not oh, enjoying yeah. that they got turned down for a job. Yeah, no, you definitely want to maintain your professionalism after you're rejected as well. Um, that's not an isolated occurrence. You know, I've, I've heard of multiple candidates before who um, call the AD afterwards and, and have choice words for the candidate they selected or why they weren't selected. And you're going to run into these athletic administrators again and again, and they talk as well. So they move around with jobs and they talk and it just, it's never a good look. Um, you might be upset, but you need to find a way to channel that into positive energy and, and you can um, vent to your wife or, or your buddy, but not, not to the athletic director after you don't get a job. Um, but as far as, you know, on campus and, and during the interview process, I, I do think that a lot of guys focus too much on themselves. Um, I think, you know, Kimmy just answered it, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but you got to do that research. You got to get to know those people individually. If you can make a personal connection with everyone there, you got a lot better shot. Of course, the athletic director is important. Of course, the sports administrator is important. Of course, the president is important if you're meeting with him. But if you overlook the compliance director or you overlook the social media um, or media relations coordinator or whomever, um, that could really hurt you, you know, and some guys will do that. Um, you know, they're, they're, even if it's not just arrogance, it's just an oversight. Oh, I only have so much time to prepare. I'm going to really focus on these three. Well, you better, if you're going to go after this job, make sure you have time to fully prepare. Um, and then, you know, like the book you mentioned earlier, Ryan, when guys go on, I also advise guys not to have it to be too long. You know, I always tell guys to have it like 12 to 15 pages and, and you want to um, check that box. Cause if all five candidates had a book and you didn't, maybe you look somewhat unprepared or like you weren't ready to get this job. But if you give somebody a 75 page book with a table of contents, they're not reading that either. Um, so really try to articulate what's your academic philosophy, what's your leadership philosophy, what's your coaching philosophy and leadership and coaching are different. Leadership is kind of the development of um, the players, the culture on and off. 
Um, the, the coaching philosophy is the actual hitting, pitching, defense, et cetera. The X's and the O's, what's the identity of your team on the field, but what's the identity of your team off the field too? Um, and, and really make that uh, athletic staff that you're interviewing with feel like they're going to be proud of the men you're bringing onto campus and developing um, and that you're going to win a, a lot of ball games. Um, so don't be afraid to be confident, you know, um, get a, try to steer away from the I wills and I woulds and be, we will, we would, um, don't be afraid to say you're going to win, but don't paint yourself in a corner either and promise we're winning championships by year two. Um, there's a balance there, but be a confident person. And, and if, if I don't feel like you're going, if you're not convincing me in an interview that you can win that that's tough, that's tough. So don't, don't shy away from it, but if you prepare, you should be balanced enough um, in how you present yourself to make that athletic administrators feel confident that you can win without being arrogant. Kimmy, what about a, like putting a PowerPoint presentation together? I think it depends on the scenario. You know, I've gone through some interviews where that's something that we do ask a coaching candidate to do. And others, I mean, just to be frank, for head coaches' positions, very rare. Hardly ever seen it. It's more so in person and you're having someone who comes and they might bring a little binder that says, here's what my plan is. Um, PowerPoints, I, I don't, I haven't really seen for head coaches. Um, if you're asked to do one, then obviously you need to be prepared to do that. I didn't want to go back to Richard's last point real quickly about over-promising how quickly you win. You know, when you're coming into a new role, especially now during COVID and understanding what the roster's going to be like for the next two to three years it's going to be challenging because of some of the legislation that the ncaa is putting in in terms of roster sizes and obviously from the financial aid impact it's it's pretty in flux the draft's different right now right so we don't know what that's going to look like in two three years so being able to project what your roster will look like is really challenging so i think being a little bit more on the conservative side and having a plan and a vision i think is even more important now than ever before but um yeah in terms of powerpoints rare don't ever see it too much for head coaches Richard, what about skill set differences between pro ball and, and college? Yeah, um, well, it's definitely starting to be a little bit more back and forth and interchangeable. Guys going to pro ball and back to college and vice versa. Um, but I think the technology piece is, is critical at the professional level. I mean, I talk to GMs that say they won't hire guys who aren't certified by driveline or on base. You or fill in the blank um, new tech company. Um, so I, I think that that's clearly becoming valuable at the college level and important too. Um, even a lot of small programs now have a rap soda. It's a pretty affordable option outside of track man, like all the bigger schools have. Um, so the technology piece is important at the college level too, but you have a smaller staff. I mean, some of these schools really do only have four coaches, head coach, two paid assistants and a volunteer. Now you're starting to see some of the bigger programs, get a player development director, a couple other um, people who can help the program. But at the pro level, your staff is enormous. So your job is much smaller um, and you can really focus and you can get a lot of reps in um, and use those statistics in a way that you can't do at college when you're trying to coach, like say you're a pitching coach at college level and you have a staff of 22, um, you, you don't have, you only have so many hours in the day. You can only practice 20 hours a week. Um, it's just very different. There's no limit on the time at the pro level that you can spend with a guy. Um, and he's being paid to play baseball. He doesn't have classes. Um, it's just, they're very different dynamics. So the coaching piece, how to develop a guy, um, there's a lot of similarities, you know, and I'm not a baseball coach, so I can't tell you how to develop a hitter or a pitcher. Um, but I do know a lot of guys have been successful at it 
at the college level and the pro level interchangeably. Um, but you don't recruit at the pro level, you know, so that recruiting piece, you know, that you have to develop, those are relationships. It's a personality, um, a sales personality, obviously, but it's relationships that are developed over time. And if you're a pro guy, you're not going to have those at college, but um, you can develop them though. You can pick them up. Um, so I do think that um, there's, there's been more hiring at the college level of pro guys, but it's usually as an assistant. The only pro coaches you've seen hired by college programs as head coaches had a tie to that program. Kimia, yeah, they hired one at Oregon State, but Mitch had a long history uh, at Oregon State winning, you know, World Series. Eric Wedge at Wichita State, obviously, had a heck of a resume at the pro level, but another team might not have hired him. Wichita State, he was an alum. So you're not really seeing athletic directors hiring pro coaches as their managers um, or managers down to head coach at the college level. Well, you there's a track that. record too with that of coaches in the past that that happened with that didn't have a ton of success at the college level. So I think you saw some ADs probably pay attention to that. Okay. They hired a pro guy straight to college. You didn't have any college coaching experience and it didn't turn out very well at the college level. Yeah. And maybe Kimia can speak to this cause he obviously just did it. Um, Mitch had a, a history there, but um, yeah. still, he hadn't coached in college before. So, yeah, you know, I think it's an interesting topic. Um, you know, in our case, you know, we felt really great about Mitch just with his history here and being from the Northwest, and just he's been tied to our program since the day he left. So there was obviously a comfort there, and obviously he was a double A coach at the time and hadn't had the college experience. And it's a pretty big learning curve at times for coaches coming from the pros to college with all the different elements of things that you have to do. You can't just focus on baseball. You really can't. Um, and Kara hours amazing. are a big one. Kara. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just different. So, but you know, I think if you have someone who understands the program, you mentioned Eric Wedge and you have someone who understands the, the expectations that someone that understands what the fan base is like, I think that's a much softer landing than just coming straight out of pro ball and boom, here you go. Good luck. <laughs> That you, you got to lean heavy on your staff with that one. Kimmy, say you have a coach that's in a winning program, maybe not getting some of the looks that they want. I know geography is a big one, especially from the, the recruiting and also the fundraising piece. You need somebody that knows the lay of the land in that area to be able to fundraise a little bit too. If somebody's not getting those types of looks. What are some recommendations for them? You know, is taking another job, you know, what are maybe some recommendations for guys that are looking to move on? Yeah, I think a couple things. You know, it depends on your athletic director. Obviously, some are really focused on I want a sitting head coach, right? Or others may say, like, I want a coach who's been at the Power 5 level. They could be an assistant or a pitching coach or whatever. So I want someone who's been there. Um, a master's still matters to some schools. You know, Western Illinois, they you had to have a master's. Like, I don't agree with that. I don't think having a master's is all that important. But for some schools, that's still an important thing is getting a master's. Nice bonus. I don't think it's 100% necessary. I wouldn't say it's something that we say you got to have a master's. But you have it, great. Obviously, it shows you're dedicated to education. This is important. But I, I say more so, don't be afraid to take a job somewhere, even if it's a smaller school. To get that experience as a head coach, don't be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid to move around a few times. But also, network with the people who are at the place or connected to the place where you want to be. So, you're a Midwestern person and you see yourself in the Pac-12, like align yourself with some of those coaches, align yourself with some of those people who either have jobs already there or have connectivity to those schools or institutions. You know, you got to, because ultimately sometimes you might be asking other coaches and other people like, Hey, you know, this may or may not come up. Hypothetically, if you had five names for me, who would they be? 
Uh, and you can get some really good insight from other administrators or other coaches and say, hey, these are some guys on the radar that maybe aren't on your radar. And they may not be a Northwest guy, per se, or a Southern Cal guy, but they're a really good coach and they could be adaptable to that environment. But if they know nobody in their network is really stuck in the Midwest or the Southeast, or the Northeast, they're not even going to come up. So the more that they, people can network and get to know the people in those areas that they see future potential, uh, the better. So then at least they're on the, they're on the, maybe they're on the short list, but they're on the next set. Richard, what are some other networking tips? Yeah, I mean, that's really good advice from Kimya. And, and I think that baseball is very regional um, sport, you know, by nature of having 11.7 scholarships, the majority of your team's walk-ons, right? So you're going to have to do really well in your state or the surrounding states. Obviously, private schools might be a little different, this, that, and the other. But um, in general, baseball as an equivalency sport, you're, you're going to have to know that area. But I've had a lot of coaches who got hired at schools where they didn't have a ton of experience. Um, but if you're going to go into an interview like that and you're running on your track record of developing men and recruiting, um, building one in program, you're probably going to want to talk about the assistance you're going to hire from that area in your interview. Make them feel like, OK, I'm going to get a recruiting coordinator from Texas if I've never um, coached in Texas. Um, so different ADs you know, care more about that or less about that, the region. But I do think networking wise smart to reach out to coaches in the area you want to be in. I always tell young coaches to reach out to one guy a week. I mean, there's 52 weeks in a year. If you reach out to one coach a week, it's not that difficult to do. It's one a week. And then if half of those guys talk to you, that's 26 guys in a year that you talk to. If you develop a legitimate relationship with a quarter of those guys, you're talking about, you know, six to 10 new connects, good solid connections in a year. Um, that's good. That's going to, and over time, it's going to get stronger. And then all of a sudden a job comes up to Kimmy's point where they ask a coach in New Mexico for a list. And he recommends an awesome guy. This, oh, I know this stud in Mississippi that you would have never got on that list. If you didn't make that time and effort and don't just reach out to guys blind and say, Hey, I'd love to talk to you. Like have a purpose behind it. You know, I really like what you're doing with your, you know, your running game or, um, your, your bunt defense, or you're just, your pitchers are incredible. Like they, they come in as one-star recruits and, and they leave draft picks. I don't know, find a reason to reach out to a guy, um, and have a legitimate conversation. And then you're not going to become best friends with all of them, but you'll, you'll develop relationships with the ones that you have an attachment to, um, a connection with. Um, and so that's what I advise guys to do from a coaching network perspective, but don't be afraid to network with the administrators at your school either. Cause just like I said earlier, administrators move as well. The easiest way to network with administrators is look at the ones on your campus. It's a little harder to be emailing administrators 10 states away. Not impossible. If you see somebody maybe with an alumni connection um, or they used to be at your current institution, but talk to the administrators on your campus and that'll help you develop your CEO approach. If you talk to the compliance coordinator a little bit more than just when you have to deal with the player issue. Um, you know, so I, I would also look at that from a networking standpoint. And the last thing I would say on geography is, is coaches at a lower level. Cause I know a lot of your listeners are going to be D2, D3, NAI, JUCO. Um, if you want to be at the D1 level, you know, get to a state, you know, get a D2 job. If you're a D2 head coach in Pennsylvania and you want to be a D1 head coach, Go to a state that has a lot of D1s. Go become a D2 coach in Ohio or a D2 coach in North Carolina. It's going to be easier for you to transition to a D2 or D3 head job at your level in another state because um, those programs are aware of you. They, they compete in national championships with you. They're aware of who you are. If I'm a, a Division One athletic director and I'm going to hire a D2 head coach because of his success, I'm probably going to hire one in my state or a surrounding state because then it really is important, the geography, because you haven't been recruiting the same players on a national level um, that the D1 guys have. So I always tell guys that, like Ohio, 
Florida, Louisiana, Texas, the states with a lot of division ones. If you're a lower level head coach and you want to be a D1 head coach, you're basically running on your record. Um, and you need to have some familiarity with the program. And that's where reaching out to those guys is important because the grass isn't always greener and you need to ask specific questions like, what do you really like about your job? What don't you like about your job? Especially if you're you're trying to get to a level that you haven't been to yet, because the rules, the care hours are different. All the rules are different. You know, time commitment is completely different. You know, those are things that you need to be prepared for because you would hate for a guy to, to really get a job that they wanted and not know what they were getting into. Absolutely. Yeah. No, at the lower levels, a lot of times it's about filling seats and enrollment. So you have rosters of 70. It's very different than coaching 35 players um, at a program that expects to win at a D1 level. Um, so it's just different. And, and to those guys as well, you got to win a lot. It's hard if you haven't been to World Series at the lower levels to get D1 jobs, but it's not impossible. There's little things you can do. Kim, yeah, Spencer actually had this question with, with the opportunity to hire more diverse candidates. How is there a balance between getting the right person or the best person and also trying to help on the diversity standpoint, obviously you're still trying to hire the best person for the job, but how can we push to get more diverse candidates in there? Yeah, that's a great question. And ultimately you still want to hire the best person. That being said, I, I personally think administrators and ADs have to do a much better job of creating a more diverse pool. You know, in Oregon that we have a very specific rule where for any head coaching job or administrator job, you have to hire a qualified minority candidate. That's a rule. Um, most states don't have that. You know, I think some are getting better with that, but it does give at least opportunities in a state like Oregon or other states that you have to have a pool that's somewhat diverse. Um, and I think as ADs and administrators are looking at the landscape and you look at our student athletes, like for example, at Oregon State, 47% of our athletes are from underrepresented backgrounds, right? Um, and if you look at some of the athletes, maybe not so much baseball, can you hire representatives that actually look like our athletes and look like some of our staff? Um, and I think it's important in baseball um, when you look at the lower levels, K through 12 all the way up, you know, it's been a challenge, right? And I think we all know that we've seen what happened, what's happened at the major league level in terms of the decrease. Um, so I think we have to figure out a way to foster more engagement by coaches. And I think the ABCA is doing a good job of having more of these conversations, but I do think we still need to do more, um, to be able to have a, a, a pool of qualified candidates and to help prepare them for opportunities when they do get those interviews that they knock it out of the park. And it may not be that interview that gets them the job, but it might be the next one because now they've had experience and they know the kind of questions that are coming their way. They know how to present themselves on campus. They know what are the pitfalls that we've talked about today. And that's how I think we get better in this area is creating obviously more opportunities to interview, but also candidates that are more when they have the interview, they're going to get the job. Yeah, it's just an experience thing. When I had assistants and they were like, Coach, what do you think? I'm like, apply to as many jobs as you can because hopefully you get some interviews. Even if you're not interested and you want to stay, that's fine too. But you need to get as much experience with the interview process as you can because if you've never gone through it before, it's it's tough. It is really tough. Hey, Kimia, what do you – what? Do you wish someone would have told you about administration before you got into the job? <laughs> it's never a dull moment, which is great. There's just a lot of things that happen on a day-to-day -day basis you've never seen or prepared for. Um, you know, I think working with coaches is, is challenging, but I love it because it's always problem solving and everyone has a different personality. It's, it's, I guess it's one day it's a fire all day and then it's quiet for two days and there's another fire. So 
I didn't Mondays, really right? That. Mondays are usually yeah. put out fire day. Yeah, you didn't realize it. Um, you know, I think in athletics, you get used to working 24 days, 24 hours a day, and we can, like, you get used to that. That's not an issue. But it's some of the challenges that come up, mostly with student athletes, that you're like, how do we handle this? And honestly, for an administrator, how do I help my coach handle this and mitigate risk for him or herself? Um, to put themselves in a position to be successful, but also to manage your team, because you're talking about team morale. Um, you're talking about, obviously, leadership initiatives. You're talking about a lot of different things that go into how you can be successful outside of how you actually get on the field and play. Um, so that's the fun part for me. But you just don't realize there's times where it just takes all day. And then there's other times where it's really quiet. And then you get then you get a little nervous. So, um, But I love it. It's great. And uh, we're lucky here. And I've been lucky at five different institutions to work with a lot of great coaches. And I've learned, learned a lot from many of them. And this will be for both of you. How do you find the right mentors? I think surrounding yourself with a diverse group of people. You know, you don't want someone who thinks just like you. You know, my mentors, I, I, a lot of my mentors are from the academic realm when I came up in the profession and now more so ADs. But people who actually can come to me and say, Kimya, I wouldn't make that decision and here's why. Yeah. Or I see where you're coming from, but maybe here's a different angle. You know, I have one in my hand who's very conservative thinking. I have another one who's very liberal thinking. And then I have one right in the middle who's Switzerland. And it's great because I can, you know, gain and, and gather things from each one of them to where I have to create my own style, but I grab a, a little piece of each one of them. And then I create the style and make decisions the way I do. And above all, just having integrity. But having mentors who have integrity in what they do, no matter what their style is, I think is the most important thing. Richard, what yeah. do you got in mentors? You know, I think that some of that just develops organically. Like if you do the networking thing, I think you're going to find out, you know, who are the guys that want to invest in you as well as you investing in them. Um, but I think with the mentor deal, I got a piece of advice. Cause when you're talking about mentors, you're really talking about someone who gives you advice from time to time, someone who you trust. Um, you know, if, if you're in a situation as a first time head coach, a head coach, you would call um, and say, how did you handle this before? Um, so outside of the guys that you worked for, if they just become natural mentors from time, you know, someone once told me that you look for somebody who's competent in the space, like the three C's competent in the space. So they know it. So don't get advice from someone who doesn't, isn't an expert in that field. Um, don't get an advice on pitching from a hitting coach, maybe. Um, but competent in the space, um, somebody who cares about you. So if it's a mentor, when they're giving you advice about your career or how to handle a, a sticky situation with your team, do they even care about the result to you individually? Right? So is it somebody who knows what they're talking about? They're common in the space. Somebody who cares about you personally, that their, their advice that they're giving you, they want it to result in a positive situation for you. Um, and then do they not have a conflict of interest? A lot of times you get advice from people who are on the other side of the argument. You don't know that. You're just like, oh, they know what they're talking about. They're really good at this. But if they have a conflict of interest, a lot of times they're not going to tell you that they do um, or why they're giving you the advice they're giving. Um, so, so if you find guys over time, I think you're just going to organically develop some relationships with people older than you who have more experience than you. Um, but, but really take care and notice who are the ones who care about you? Who are the ones that are there for you no matter what? Who are the ones that don't have a conflict of interest in this specific situation you're asking them about? Um, and who, who's really common in the space? But I think a lot of that just naturally will develop. You can't like try too hard to get mentors in my mind. Kimmy, what are some final thoughts? And you can talk a little bit about the ABCA also. Yeah, final thoughts, um, you know, for candidates and folks looking for jobs or head coaching jobs, you know, be objective. Don't be afraid to try different opportunities. Don't be afraid to put your name out there and interview. 
Uh, can't say enough about networking and connecting yourselves with people um, in the industry, administrators, coaches, um, and then make sure you're prepared. You know, make sure you're really, really prepared for that opportunity when you do get it. Um, you know, even though you may not be on that short list or you might be someone who um, this maybe isn't right, the right time or fit for you, it's still an interview, right? You're still making an impression, good, bad, or, or, or neither. So um, just be prepared no matter what and, and stay connected. And honestly, don't give up hope. You know, if it, where there's a will, there's a way and stay positive no matter what you do. And again, reach out to the people that can help you. Richard, final thoughts? Yeah, I would say focus on winning. Don't focus on excuses. A lot of baseball coaches I've come across have a lot of excuses for why they are not successful. Um, and so I, I would say, guys, you know, we all know that those reasons exist, scholarships, facilities, money, all those things. Um, but it's not going to help you get a job to talk about it. So focus on finding ways to, you know, when I was at Kentucky, John Cohen would always say, figure it out, FIO, figure it out, figure it out. Um, and, and that's something I would say to young guys um, or coaches who are established and looking to get, take the next step. Um, you got to win, guys. If you want to get head coaching jobs, that's your goal. You got to find a way to win. Um, so figure out a way to do that. If you're in a situation where it's just impossible, then get to a situation where you can win and, and find a way to get to that situation. But as far as the interview process goes, um, there's a ton that goes into it. If anyone has questions, I'm on the ABCA, so you can find my email, reach out to me. Um, but resume i tell guys that all the time like you got to take ownership of it you do like if you're not happy with your situation like one you probably put yourself a little bit in that situation which is fine and you got to be where your feet are at but you have two options you can stay where you're at and try to make it great or you can go and and try to find another job if if that's what you're really looking for but there i think you see it on the pro side and the college side is not that you're stuck but it's going to be what it is and you run into it a lot as an assistant where you're going to be hamstrung by how much you make, which is fine. So you have an option. You can either stay where you're at, make it great, or you can try to, to find another position, but don't bellyache about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that would be, that would be my takeaway for guys is, is find a way to win. Um, network like crazy. It's important, but, but don't do it at the expense of your current program. Cause if you do it at the expense of your current program, you're not going to win as much as you could. And you'll you know, get fired. And you, <laughs> I, I'm just being honest, like, yeah. You have to be loyal to the program that you're in. And and yes, everybody wants to improve. But if it starts to slide in your job performance, you're not going to be there very long. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Richard. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Kimmy and Richard for carving out some time for me. We're heading into the coaching carousel season. So hopefully we gave you all some tips on how to put your best foot forward. I will definitely circle back with these two on another episode. We still have a ton to cover. And how to get jobs and keep jobs is an ongoing process. Even if you're in a job that you love, one good habit to do at the end of the year is to update your resume. I found it was a great way to see how far I'd come and to set and adjust goals for the new year. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.